Greetings, Earthlings, and welcome to Are UFO Real? I'm Tom, and with me as always is my cohort, Grant. What's happening, brothers? So, big news. This week we are going to wrap up our examination of the three videos that To The Stars Academy has released to the public. In our last two episodes, we first took a look at the secret U.S. military program, ATIP, which investigated UFO or UAP activity, and then we discussed the two related videos called Gimbal and Go Fast in our last episode. Today we're going to look at the FLIR 1 video, and the video itself is only about 30 seconds long, but the story that goes along with it is pretty dang interesting. Yeah, that's right. And as I said in the last episode, these videos themselves are not smoking guns when it comes to the existence of extraterrestrials. But the wist, the doing my trademark, uh, stumbling over words here. But the witness testimonies that go along with them are very intriguing. These aren't random UFO enthusiasts or anything like that. They're clear-eyed and detail-oriented, highly trained military fighter jet pilots who are trained to recognize and identify other objects in the air and have full situational awareness. They are also backed up by the full might and technology of the U.S. military who see these objects on multiple radar tracking systems. So that brings us to David Sex Fravor and the Nimitz encounter. (laughs) Okay, let's get this out of the way. I wanted for sex. uh, (laughs) No, I think that's his call sign. His call sign is sex. Like Maverick and Goose, yeah. Sex. Sex. He's probably better than sex up in the air. Wow. But, um... I'm going to leave it at that. (laughs) Um, so if anybody listening hasn't seen the video itself yet, I would recommend following the links in the show notes and going to the To The Stars Academy archive where you can watch the FLIR 1 video, which stands for forward-looking infrared, forward-looking infrared for the camera system that recorded it. Uh, again, the video itself isn't incredibly interesting. It basically shows a white blurry shape that is being tracked by the targeting system for 30 seconds before it zooms off camera. Um, Like the other videos, the video has some explanation of the heads-up display readout and what the targeting computer is doing. There's there's no chatter for the cockpit in this video. Yeah, it was silent. Yeah, yeah. Completely silent, except for the the sounds that To The Stars Academy put on the video. Which kind of makes it spooky, I think. Yeah. Um, So I think an even more interesting video in the archive is Fravor's interview, where he gives a first-hand account of his encounter. Uh, It's interesting to hear Fravor matter-of-factly report the details of his strange encounter in such a technical way. Um, It's important to note that the FLIR 1 video wasn't taken during Fravor's encounter. It was actually taken by the next flight group that went out after Fravor had landed and reported what he had seen to everybody. Um, So I think think that makes sense, right? Uh, Fravor is the one that had the close encounter with it, basically, but this guy was able to capture it on his targeting computer and, and get a video of it. Interesting. But so, he didn't, I don't think the other pilot, I mean, he hasn't come forward. I think he's still active in the military and, uh, or they, I should say, not he. Right. Um, did, did this person, so this person hasn't, not only have they not come forward, but we don't know whether they, um, were aware that it was. No, no, they were looking for it because Fravor came back and, and all this, there was like four of them, you know, there's Fravor and his, uh, weapons officer behind him in the in the cockpit, and then there's their wingman. So that that's four people, you know. That's okay. Um, but they weren't able to get like uh, to target it or anything like that. However, this other person was. Yeah, he went out to find it, and uh, apparently was able to. But I don't know if he was able to get as close to it as they got. Okay, you know what I mean, right? Um, Makes sense. Or maybe he did, and that's all top secret still or something. But. Um. 
So the To the Star Academy archive also has the pilot written report written by Fravor's wingman, and the pilot report also has a link to the executive report about the incident. There are also a lot of other resources that cover this incident, including a documentary that I've included a link to in the show notes, and there's also the History Channel show Unidentified Inside America's UFO Investigation that we keep referring to. Which I still have not seen yet, but I really want to, man. I... Yeah, we should check that. I mean, we could talk about it off mic, but maybe we could arrange something to, yeah. uh, to watch a couple episodes or something. That's a good idea. Um, once again, the History Channel show reveals some further information connected to the incident that is pretty interesting. Also, as I mentioned in the last episode, Joe Rogan recently actually interviewed David Fravor on his podcast, The Joe Rogan Experience. And, of course, I'm going to put links and stuff. Now, uh, so basically what happened is that in November of 2004, the Nimitz Carrier Strike Group was performing practice exercises approximately 100 miles to the southwest of San Diego when they started picking up signals of craft moving at extraordinary speeds nearby. Uh, According to Kevin Day, who was a radio operator for the USS Princeton, which is basically the eyes and ears of the Carrier Strike Group, they had been picking up these signals for four days before Fravor's encounter. Day said that there were more than a hundred such contacts. So Day is on the aircraft carrier or is he no. on an aircraft carrier? So or? there's the aircraft carrier. I mean, this is what I understand. You know, there's going to be a few battleships around it. And then there's going to be the aircraft carrier that has all the aircraft on it. It carries the aircraft. And then, um, yeah, the USS Princeton's like the the eyes and ears. So it's a big like it's a battleship that has a bunch of sophisticated radars and stuff. Okay. on there. Um. I've been watching a lot of documentaries and stuff, but yeah, there's a lot of military jingo, jingoism, <laughs> blingo, jargon, jargon, yeah. <laughs> lingo and, and jingo. Anyway, yeah, jinkos. <laughs> they wear jinkos in the military. But uh, yeah, basically, so the USS Princeton's the, you know, the one that's gonna have the radar and then feed all the information to all the other ships, so they have situational awareness, is what they call it. Got it. And we kind of talked about that on the last one, actually, too, where. Uh, you know, they were telling the pilots that there's objects in the air or whatever. Okay. Or they can confirm it. No, I'm just kind of talking out my bum, but... Uh, no, that makes sense. I mean, there's... You know, you got to have some kind of command center. I'm just trying to get a clear picture of, of what it was looking like so on that day. So I think in Top Gun, he would be like the sweaty guy with the glasses <laughs> that's uh, looking at the radar. You okay. Know, <laughs> and picking up. He's like, there's craft out there. Okay. Um so, yeah, they'd be seeing these things, and they'd been tracking their movements for, for a few days. And uh, so um, so Kevin Day said that there was more than 100 such contacts. These objects would move in odd patterns. First, they would be up at 2,800 feet, moving at approximately 100 knots, which Day said was odd because usually something moving that slow would fall out of the sky. And then the objects would drop from 2,800 feet to sea level in 0.78 seconds, which he calculated to be about 24,000 miles per hour or 30 times the speed of sound. Wow. So Mach 30. Is that what that is? I think so. Oh, okay. <laughs> I think so, yeah. We'll say Mach 30 then, but I don't know. Boom. Don't quote me. And then, um, so on November 14th, 2004, Day saw some of this activity and suggested that they send somebody to go check it out since they had fighters in the air. But we'll get back to that in just a second. When Day went back later to review the radar and comms data, he says the records were blank. Day also says that the captain didn't seem too concerned and just said, nothing we can do. Which reminds me a lot of the response that command gave in the last episode when the pilots would report the incidents. Right. 
So the command almost implies the command has knowledge of something going on out there. Yeah. Or, wants to poo-poo it. Or maybe. just like, yeah, shrugging it off or something. I kind of get that impression too, or they just... Well, let me, let me, let me step into the commander's shoes here. Uh, if I were a commander of a vessel and someone reported something like that, I would like run around screaming because that's right. <laughs> super well, awesome. But being a commander, I'm sure you have to maintain command presence and not freak everybody out. Well, I think we get into it. I kind of brushed it over because it's confusing, but there's back and forth on like, like people showing up on the ship that weren't there in the beginning of the day and, and coming in and taking all the records and leaving. Okay. And so, I mean, I, I think command, they agreed with him to go scramble fighters and go see what these objects were, you know? Um, but then I think when people came in and took all the records and, and probably told command to like, to keep their mouth shut or something is the impression I got, but okay. So like the higher ups, right? Right. I see. So, um, all of Day's testimony comes from the History Channel show. They also talked to Gary Voorhees, a radar tech on the USS Princeton, the same ship, who advised that they were using the Spy 7 Bravo radar, also known as the Aegis, which was top of the line. Similar to what the pilot said in our last episode, at first he thought they were just glitches in the system, but then they would confirm that other ships were picking them up as well. Finally, they would reboot the system and the objects were still there. And then on the fourth day, there was the encounter that Fravor had. Voorhees also explains that a helicopter arrived and took all the recording data. He said it, it was, quote, unprecedented. A helicopter arriving and taking all the data? Yeah, yeah. He said, well, yeah. Wow. I mean, usually they would keep records of everything, you know. Um, I, there's an article, I include a link. I just read this a couple of days ago, or, or yesterday, actually, I think. But, um, like, the only time that these guys had seen something like that was when there was an accident in like a military combat situation or something. Huh. Um, make of that what you will, I guess. But, okay. Um, so I hate to delay too much longer before we get into Fravor's story, but I just want to make it clear that much like the carrier group that we were discussing in the last episode with the gimbal and go fast videos, these strange objects displaying odd flight characteristics were consistently showing up in the same area as some of the most valued assets in the U.S. military during training exercises and being witnessed by multiple military personnel. And remember, during... Oh, this is in 2004, approximately 10 years before the events that we were discussing last episode relating to the other videos. Uh, it makes me wonder what other strange objects our military personnel are commonly seeing that are not being released to the public. Kind of begs the question, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, I guess if you look at it from one way, it, it seems like, yeah, I like the top secret black ops craft idea, but I mean, it's a long time this is going on, you know, and these are right. really advanced as we can see already. But um, And this is, Grant, this is on your doorstep and my doorstep too. We're in San Diego. And granted, this was what? How far off San Diego? 100 miles southwest of San yeah. Diego? And like out in the ocean, sure. Basically, yeah. But, um, I, you know, this makes me kind of want to go to the beach. And right. just, <laughs> you know, some night and just kind of stargaze and see if there's any any weird lights going on out there. Totally. And and um, I don't think I get into it on here, but uh, some of the stuff I was reading is like, like they would see him out there. I don't know if it was Day or Voorhees. I can't remember, but they would... Um, because these guys have been out and done a lot of interviews on this stuff, you know? Yeah. And, um, you know, he would pinpoint where they're at, and then he would go out on deck during the day with, like, 
high powered binoculars and try and look in that area and stuff. And he could kind of see stuff moving around, but uh, he couldn't really make it out too well. And it was really hard to see during the day. And then um, at night, he said they would kind of give off like a phosphorescent glow. Creepy. But uh, yeah. What if it was bioluminescent and these things were alive? Well, that would be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a big theory, too, is that they are kind of like living organisms. Yeah, or like at least like semi living, you know, kind of like a Battlestar Galactica right there. Or sentient, at least. Yeah, yeah. But, um, well, I don't Ooh, know. Ooh, like a Cylon, you mean? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, you remember that in BSG when, uh, you know, they, they were, yeah, they were basically cyborgs flying around, right? Yeah. That's another show I got to rewatch. Yeah. All I remember is Edward James almost going, You better cut that out before I throw you out. <laughs> <laughs> you got mad at Starbucks. Anyway, sorry for the digression. <laughs> That's on me. Um, let's see. So there, um, yeah, so one, uh, one other thing worth mentioning is that I read an article in thedrive.com. I'll post a link that mentions that these sightings started happening around the time the Navy was fitting its jets with new radar technology, which is called Active Electronically Scanned Array, which is ASA. Um, I just think it's worth mentioning because it naturally occurs to me that these objects could have been around a lot longer. We were just incapable of detecting them. Right. It could also mean that they are glitching or misrepresenting everyday objects as well, of course. So we'll take a little break here and then we can get into the encounter itself. Sounds good. We'll be right back. Hey guys, sorry to butt into the conversation here, but I just wanted to tell you about our sponsor, CBG Dub Cigar Box Guitars. Uh, as the sole proprietor, I, I hand make these guitars myself. I'm really proud of them. They're made from old cigar boxes, but as you can hear, they sound good plugged in. They sound good acoustic. Um, they come in, or they come with a hand-cut bottleneck slide that I make myself. Um, they're just a lot of fun to play. They're set up for slide guitar. I, I like to think of them as a, as a slide training guitar. Uh, make a great gift for any musician, and they, they look really good just hanging on the wall, too. I think they're kind of a piece of art, you know? Um, you can find us at Etsy.com, where I also offer free shipping. Um, just search for CBG Dub at Etsy.com. That's a CBG as in Cigar Box Guitar, and then D-U-B. And um, right now, I'm offering my listeners, until the end of the year, 15% off with uh, coupon code UFOPOD at checkout. So that's U-F-O-P-O-D. I put it in all caps, but I don't know if that really matters. But anyway, thanks for listening, guys. Take care. So, once again, this brings us to David Sex Fravor. As I just mentioned, the Princeton could see these objects in the immediate area of radar while they had fighters in the air. So they tasked Fravor and his wingman to switch from training exercises to real-world uh, tasking and told them to go intercept the objects. Fravor's wingman was relatively inexperienced compared to Fravor, who had quite a bit of experience. Um, I wanted to put it in there and go look it up, but it... It's in the Joe Rogan interview. He says how many hours he had in the air, which is uh, thousands of hundreds, if not thousands. But yeah, basically he was, he's a very experienced dude, right? 
Okay. Uh, Fravor's wingman was also featured in the history documentary, but since she is now high-ranking in the Navy, she disguised her identity by hiding her face in shadow on the show during her testimonial. And I think she had a scary robot monster voice, too. Hope she's a, she's a better dancer than me. <laughs> so they uh, flew their F-18s over to the coordinates given to them, and then the Princeton turned radio command over to the submarine that was in the area. Uh, the wingman said that she thought she could hear a sense of urgency in the radar operator's voice on the submarine. In the pilot report, the wingman a- says that she asked Fravor what he thought it might be, and Fravor speculated that it could be drug runners. And I won't report her response here since this is a family show, but she was initially excited by the possibility. She said something akin to, bad donkey. Uh, soon the radar- radio operator advised that they were approaching the merge plot, which is where both the fighters and the target look the same on the radar from the ship since they're so close. And uh, the target should be in visual range. Of the pilots. Yeah, yeah. Next, the radio operator asked the pilots what their loadout was, uh, meaning what weapons they had on board, to which they replied that they had none, just uh, practice rounds. At this point, the wingman started to get nervous, envisioning that they may have to make a kamikaze run to take down a 9-11 type of attacker. Good God, that would be so horrifying. Yeah, I mean, this is about three years after 9-11, I think, you know. And so they were scrambled up there to figure to figure out what this was. Yeah, they... And they don't have any weapons. Right, right, and they're asking him about it, which is kind of odd, since they were just on a training exercise, and they, you know, they were told to go do something in the real world. Wow. And, um, yeah, it's kind of interesting, too, because it's from, like, a new, a new pilot, you know, so she's all excited about everything. I'm sure... 9-11 was getting drilled into military personnel's recruits' heads around this time, you know? Yeah. And um, I'm sure it still is to this day. Well, yeah. And uh, so the pilots approach the area and start looking around, and Fravor notices some whitewash churning down on the surface of the ocean, making it look like something was just under the surface. Fravor describes the shape of the foam as kind of a crucifix shape, like a 747. He said it was bigger than a submarine. Now, the pilots are transitioning into rescue mode as they assume that a passenger ship has gone down. But as he starts to approach the surface, Fravor sees what looks like a smooth white craft hovering over the disturbance in the water, what he describes as looking like a 40-foot tic-tac. As the wingman says, it was, quote, big enough to scare the S-word out of her. She says that there was no way to engage the object except to ram it since they weren't carrying any weapons, but the way that the object was moving would have made ramming it impossible. I imagine it's hard to ram anything, any moving object with an airplane. Yeah, true. <laughs> Jesus. But I mean, they're in, in some pretty fast, like, it, you know, if it was a passenger liner or another fighter jet, maybe. Yeah, that would still be pretty difficult, I would imagine. Yeah. But they were in the fast, you know, these, these are like uh, top of the line fighter jets here. Mm-hmm. Um, the object was just kind of hovering over the disturbance. And Fravor said it was moving erratically, kind of like a ping pong ball being shaken in a bottle. Uh, Fravor then decided to move toward the object and get a closer look after making a quarter turn around in this big circle they were flying in. Fravor's wingman was obviously shaken by the experience. She says in the interview on the show that when Fravor engaged, the hair on the back of her neck was standing up. He engaged the back of her hair? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I did not read that well. But yeah, so when he started to engage, she was like, you know... She was, uh, her spine was tingling, basically. She was nervous. Um, she was, she was like, yeah, she was pretty shaken up by it. Understandably. Seeing this out of this world thing. Yeah. Um, the, the thing about shaking in the bottle, like I've never gotten a clear description of what exactly that means. Cause it, 
they say it's hovering there, but then it seems to have been just like darting back and forth super fast, I guess, moving erratically. Well, I, I was going to remark on that description, shaking like a ping pong ball in a bottle. That's pretty, I like that description, actually. Like, yeah. I'm picturing a clear bottle and just a ping pong ball ping ponging all over the place. So I think I've seen videos like that, too, no? Of like like a light just kind of darting around like that or almost like a laser pointer. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Which I think we've, we've said before, right? Yeah. And if there's like a physical object doing that, right. That seems pretty impossible. Yeah. yeah. For um, what we know. anyway. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. For uh, conventional aircraft. But, uh, so Fravor states that once he started moving towards the object, it went from a hover to an aggressive climb mirroring Fravor's movements. So that's what that's what's confusing is he says it was shaking like a thing, but then it's hovering. So I guess I imagine it's like kind of in one spot, just moving around erratically like that, you know, like, well, I guess, like you said, yeah, in a bottle, like so just kind of as if a bottle was hovering there and it was ping ponging around in it. Yeah. Um, Other descriptions I've I've heard have been like. uh, Like they don't fly like or turn, they they just move at 90 degree, you know, right angles, but like. Yeah, they like don't get, they don't bank. And they then it's like I, once they decide to go somewhere, they just take off and they move there. You know, there's no wow. yeah, no acceleration or anything like that. It's just boom. Can you imagine seeing something like that? I No. <laughs> I mean, I can imagine it, but yeah. That, yeah, and like I said, you can you can imagine light doing that, like right. with a laser pointer, but it seems to defy the laws yeah, of physics. Seeing right? something turning at a ninety degree angle, especially at these speeds, I mean you got like if you have a car you have to you can't it's hard to turn a car 90 degrees yeah you know? no i mean even if you're running and you just yeah. decide to, to change yeah. direction you know yeah um if you're walking not that hard true well that's still kind of hard actually but uh all right so once the tic tac reached the same elevation as fravor so, yeah, basically, uh, you know, it went from a hover to an aggressive climb and it was kind of mirroring Fravor's movement. So they're kind of moving, a, you know, if it's a clock, they're on opposite sides, kind of circling each other um, at an angle. Like he's going down, it's going up. And then once once it reached the same elevation as Fravor, it shot across his nose at an incredible rate of speed and was gone. As Fravor said, it was like a poof and then it was gone. <laughs> I wrote poof because I didn't know how to do it, but it's like, whoop, and it's, it's just gone, you know. <laughs> and then... uh. And then Fravor asked the other crew who were 8,000 feet above him if they could see anything, and they said, nope, it's gone. The pilots, they went back to look at the disturbance in the water, but there was no longer anything there either. The flight group had a prearranged cap point or a meeting place that they were supposed to rally at, and the radio officer told them, uh, sir, you're not going to believe this, but it's at the cap. According to Fravor, that means that the object flew at approximately 3,700 miles per hour, or about 60 miles in under a minute. At this point, the flight group was low on fuel, so they returned back to the carrier. That's when the next crew said that they would find the craft and get it on tape and went out and captured the FLIR-1 video. So I just want to clarify something real quick because Please. the disturbance in the water, um, are they thinking that the disturbance in the water was a result of the Tic Tac thing or was the disturbance in the water uh, something entirely different that the Tic Tac might have been investigating? Uh, they don't really go into that at all. I don't know. I have a couple of thoughts. Like it could be the submarine, obviously. Um, since the, the submarine was communicating with him, it sounds like the submarine called something over there maybe, but I guess that's what I initially thought. But then now we know from, from day and Voorhees that, that they were actually called over there because of what they saw on the radar. 
Um, but uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I'm guessing it's a big. You know, I want to speculate that it's a big U- USO under the right thing, and this is just like a little drone or. You know, kind of like the the gimbal video where there's a huge craft or a larger craft and then a bunch of little ones around it or something like that. Yeah. Um, we'll get into some USOs here, too. You know, like I'm sure you've heard before that a lot of these craft, they seem to be able to move equally well above and underwater. Right. And uh, yeah. So. Almost as if they it doesn't matter whatever medium they're in. I mean, like <laughs> right. But I, I was thinking that too. Like it could have been a disturbance caused by the tic tac being above it. You know, right. Especially if there's gravity waves coming off it or something like that. Well, the it was a or even a, jet jet wash. It was a, a crucifix. Like yeah, shape. He, de- he described it as kind of like a diamond shape or like a crucifix shape. Uh, it's it's. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't go. You know, he just kind of says and. This is from the Joe Rogan interview. He said it was a crucifix shape. And, and they go into it a little detail. But yeah, it, it looked like a plane, you know. And, it's, you know, especially what they're thinking at first is they thought it might be a plane going down there or something. Okay. Like a crash plane. Right, was, right, was right. Um, and it was about the size of a 747. So, I don't know. Yeah, these, I mean, I only, only what you see here, pal. I mean, that's all <laughs> I got, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I'd like to have our listeners hear a portion of the pilot's firsthand report of the incident. Um, they describe it a lot better than I can. I think it's just it's cool to hear him hear him describe it firsthand in, in cold technical detail. So as Fravor says, he was the commanding officer, so he made his wingman write it up. Um, this is right when they land, you know, or right right after the incident. In the report, Fravor's wingman refers to herself as Source and her weapons officer as OK One. Uh, for those that don't know, in each F-18, there are two people, a pilot and also a weapons officer sitting behind the pilot, as I described earlier. Uh, she refers to Fravor as OK-2, and Fravor's weapons officer is OK-3 in the report. And uh, OK stands for Others Knowledgeable. Other witnesses, basically. Yeah, basically. Like, yeah. As both F-18s approached the target location the female controller began to count down the anticipated intercept time. Two minutes to merge plot, etc. Finally, the female controller indicated merge plot and announced, you should have visual. As Source looked down at the ocean from the cockpit, they noticed a small patch of water, approximately 60 feet wide by 80 feet in length, that appeared choppy and turbulent amongst a calm sea. The disturbance was unusual in that there was no apparent cause. The area was generally the shape of an oval and appeared to be, quote, rolling, roiling. Toward the center of the disturbance, the water appeared lighter color and smooth again, as if an unknown object had recently submerged beneath the surface. Source opined they thought they were witnessing a crash, perhaps that of an unidentified aircraft, as they made the mental transition from intercept mission to search and rescue. Approximately two seconds after noticing the unusual water disturbance, Source described witnessing a small, unidentified aerial system, UAS, cross over the turbulent area of water. The unidentified object was elongated, approximately 30 to 40 feet in length, white in color, and described resembling a tic-tac candy mint. The object had no distinguishable control surfaces, was uniformly smooth, with no windows, doors, or lights visible. The object was opaque with a solid, definable edge. 
The object did not appear to emit any noticeable light or radiation from its surface, nor did it have any noticeable exhaust trail. The object traveled from left to right over the disturbed water at an altitude of approximately 1,000 to 3,000 feet. The object appeared to travel at a speed of approximately 300 to 500 knots in a straight line. Source was unaware of the origin of the object or its destination, but believed the disturbed water below could have been related in some way to the object. Source immediately became alarmed and initially thought that perhaps this was an unannounced classified missile test by a U.S. Navy submarine. As such, they were, bo- they were concerned that the object could pose a threat, especially given the fact both F-18s were unarmed. Upon noticing the object, OK-2 in- indicated over the radio, I'm in, in which Source replied, I have high cover. Source comment, I was scared because I never encountered a situation like this before, and I felt that the object had yet to be identified and we were about to pursue it. OK-2 conducted an aggressive banking maneuver and dropped their aircraft while turning at the same time in order to catch up with the object. As OK-2 conducted the maneuver, Source noted the object immediately respond to OK-2's change of direction. Source comment, the UFO turned on redacted, as if it knew or somehow anticipated what they were going to do, and even pointed towards them. I was worried for them because whatever this was, redacted, didn't stand a chance against it. There is no way any aircraft or missile that I know of could conduct maneuvers like what we saw that day. Source indicated that the object began to make deliberate changes in its altitude, attitude, and the angle in response to OK-2's aircraft in a manner that seemed to defy the laws of flight physics. The object instantaneously, but in a controlled, intelligent manner, tumbled into nonsensical angles that made any engagement by the F-18 impossible. OK-2 and OK-3 were approximately 1,000 to 3,000 3, feet from the object when the object turned and, quote, pointed at them. OK-2 conducted one or two evasive turns in their F-18, but the object appeared to maintain positive and dominant control of the airspace. At no time during the incident did either F-18 have radar contact with the object. However, OK-6 and the female air controller confirmed radar contact. After approximately 8 to 10 seconds, both Source and OK-2 lost visual contact with the object. When Source looked back at the area where the ocean was disturbed, The water was again smooth and calm, with no signs of anything submerging. Field comment. Source used a pen to describe how the object behaved when OK-2 and OK-3 approached it. Source also drew a picture of the incident. See attachment. Upon losing visual contact with the object, both F-18s were low on fuel and returned successfully to the USS Nimitz without further incident. Upon recovery of both aircraft, Source, OK-1, OK-2, and OK-3 arrived for their routine intelligence debriefing, only to find that no debriefing official was available. Furthermore, closed-circuit television on board the ship had movies involving aliens and paranormal activities playing. 
field comment. Source was furious that colleagues on the ship were not taking the incident seriously and were playing the movies Signs, Men in Black, and X-Files. Source believed it was a flight safety issue at a minimum, especially if they were deliberately vectored to a testing location of a Blue Force weapon system. After not receiving an intelligence debriefing, Source, OK-1, OK-2, and OK-3 encountered the ready room, entered the ready room, where OK-2 slammed closed and secured both hatchways and began making an electronic copy of the gun tape from his F-18. During this time, Source made detailed written notes of the incident on available printer paper and mailed them to their aunt with the notice, quote, keep this because this is important stuff about some real X-Files, S-H-I-T, end quote. Okay, so obviously the, the pilot reports it a little better than I did, but now you've heard two versions of that story, <laughs> <laughs> mine and the pilot's. Um, and, uh, like I said, I would, I would recommend going on the, to the stars Academy website and seeing Fravor's interview where he describes it or the Joe Rogan one, all these links are going to be in the podcast notes, but, um, yeah, I mean, he tells a good version of the story too. And, uh, maybe can clarify some of these details, but, um, so as I, as I kind of brought up there, there's some back and forth about the length of the video basically it's Fravor, like all these people are saying, yeah, there's more to the video and like people came and confiscated all the records, which is highly unusual. But then Fravor, I don't like getting into it. Cause I don't, I don't know. It's just back and forth. You know, uh, he said, he said, but, um, yeah, Fravor says like, that's all BS and that, you know, it was all normal or something. And that maybe like, there's also speculation that it's, it's normal for these tapes to get copied over and stuff. So I don't know, but, uh, basically Kevin day, the radar operator that I mentioned before, also went on to say that the portion of the Tic Tac video that was released to the public did not show the full footage and that there were some details on the craft that you could make out. He said that there appeared to be some straight appendages sticking out of it, and apparently they were all allowed to watch the tapes. As Day said, quote, nobody cared. We weren't told not to talk about it. Excuse me. It, um, it should be mentioned that Fravor says that the Tic Tac video released to the public shows everything that was recorded and refutes Day's claim that any footage was taken by mysterious people arriving on the ship. Wonder why there's that discrepancy. What do you reckon? Um, I don't know. I don't like to speculate on this stuff because I don't know who to believe, you know? It's like there's more people saying that weird stuff went down and and Fravor's very confident about everything, it seems like. So like maybe he just wasn't made aware. Some of his evidence, I mean, you can listen to the Rogan show. That's when he really gets into it, his Rogan interview. And, um... I think a point he makes is like, well, why didn't they interview me? I'm the one that saw it, you know? But again, if it's black ops stuff or like secret projects or what did she call it? Blue weapon system or something. Yeah. Um, I'm assuming that means like secret weapons, but um, yeah, I don't know what to make out of it, make of it really. But uh, there are people that are really adamant that, that there's more to it. Yeah. That people came and tried to cover it up or just like took it or something. I mean, it seems like in one way or the other, like it would definitely higher ups would want to analyze this stuff. I would hope, you know? Sure. Um, now <laughs> it's funny that you asked that. Cause this next, this next thing uh, might raise some suspicion on, uh, on Kevin day here. Cause 
um, or not, maybe it, it proves it. But uh, one other thing I have to mention is that late in my research, I found an article in which Kevin Day actually went on to claim that the UFO incident gave him psychic powers and visions and that he believes that he is being followed. No. You know, it occurs to me, too, that I'm sure there. I mean, we were just kind of discussing off mic about how there's so much rank involved in uh, and chain of command involved. So there might be some like looking down at the radar people. Right. I mean, I know they're all a team and stuff, but the pilots are probably going to be at the top of the pack. Right. Yeah, I don't like I, the, I don't know, man. Like I like I mentioned, I'm sure there's a lot of delegating responsibility. You can only do so much in terms of your own responsibilities. Right. But. Yeah, I mean, I, I I assume in any field there are people like if you te- if you quote unquote outrank somebody, then I'm sure there's some there's some looking down at, at people. Right. So, I mean, that might have something to do because because what he says, what Fravor says is that, like, you know, I'm the I was the flight commander. So, like, they would have to go through me to get that stuff, you know, but uh, well, you know, I don't know if that's necessarily true or not. I mean, I have no reason to disbelieve Fravor, you know, but well, not to be a jerk but mm-hmm. I'm going to be a jerk. You know what would make me look down on someone? What? Is if they said they got psychic abilities from a UFO experience. I'm well, sorry. I'm an open-minded person, but... I kind of cut myself out, off here, but maybe maybe this will change your mind. <gasps> um, well, yeah. <laughs> uh, just to clarify, too, what we were talking about is like we'd wished, or I wish personally, that Fravor had written his own report of the incident, especially since he was the one that got closer to it kind of it seems like but um yeah i would rather have a first his first hand account than uh, a second hand right and and because it, it occurs to me that his wingman he even says like she she didn't have as much experience by far as as he, he she was kind of a fresh recruit you know so her experience is going to be different than fravor's i mean she was obviously really shaken up in that in that report that official report you know yeah um so yeah so like I said, the Kevin Day, he went on to claim that the UFO incident gave him psychic powers and visions and that he believes that he is being followed. Uh, in a quote from the article, quote, as it also turns out, the spooks already knew everything about me and what I had been going through before they met me. They even acknowledged the strange psychic ability that I seem to have, which is, I seem to be able to manifest things and situations, hence their stated fears. What I think about has a weird way of becoming reality. It has happened now too many times to be just coincidence. In fact, I now manifest things on purpose. I also seem to have been advantaged with what I now know is called, quote, downloaded information. That's a quote within a quote there. Um, so he's talking about manif- the ability to manifest stuff as a result of this UFO experience. Yeah. You know there's a book about this stuff. It's called The Secret. Have you heard of that? Yeah, yeah. I kind of dig it actually, honestly. But uh well, hey man, I, maybe we're living in we're all living in VR and you just got to know the rules. I I I don't know, man. That's not, that seems like a hell of a life hack yeah, to be able yeah. to manifest stuff. It would be a lot more believable if well, as I wrote here. Now, this may all be true, but on the other hand, it is hard to take seriously without some concrete evidence. Sure. And there is something to be said about the power of having a positive attitude or something. Right. Now, if you have a positive outlook on stuff, you're going to see the bright side. You're going to see the, the glasses half full. And, I mean, maybe better things happen to people who are generally more positive because they people want to be around people who are more positive generally. But Right. 
I don't know about a psychic ability or being able to physically manifest stuff. I mean, it's a big world and it, it does kind of seem more likely that he's predetermined to think that he has these abilities and then some coincidences he reads as like being directly related to his thoughts maybe, but who knows, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I know you're not a very spiritual person anyway, but, uh, yeah, well, uh, I, I, spiritual is such a nebulous word, man. Right. Right. I'm not religious. Right. Not at all. Um, well, obviously, you don't buy into the secrets or manifesting stuff with your thoughts or anything no. like that. No, um, I think it's kind of interesting, too, because he says something about downloaded information, but it, I don't think it went much more into what kind of information he downloaded. But that, that reminds me of the Rendlesham Forest claims and stuff. So, And, I mean, there's been a lot of stories before this that kind of refer to the same thing. So I don't know if this guy, I mean, he's been in a lot of interviews and doing a lot of media stuff. So I don't know. He might just want some attention. I mean, I don't want to talk badly about him. He seems like a, a really cool guy, honestly. But... uh yeah, I was just surprised to see this because I hadn't heard anything about this in any of the other interviews or anything. And this yeah. one, I mean, it might just be the writer or whatever, the muckracker, but uh, it does make him sound a little loony, you know. Well, saying that a single, a single incident gave you the ability to manifest things and manifest situations. I don't know, man. Yeah. So let's see here. That's a that's a pretty good chunk, I think. Um Let's go ahead and wrap this up right now. And Good then, call. Um, next week we can get into a little bit more discussion here and some, uh, you know, some skeptical viewpoints about it and everything. Sure. And uh, a few more details, a few more revelations that were on the History Channel. Okay. And you and I might come to blows over the secret too. So be sure uh, to tune in, guys. There's going to be screaming and a friendship of over a decade could possibly come to an end. All I can say is, uh, can't always get what you want, but if you try, sometimes. You might just get what you need. Good call. All right. Ciao, guys. Bye.